past few times that I've been invited to preach, I've been sort of stymied by the scripture that I've been asked to preach on. And many of you have heard the result of that. Bless you. As an associate pastor who only does this once in a while, it can be a little frightening to read the assigned scripture for the week and think, you have to make this meaningful this Sunday. It's the only shot you've got for another so many weeks. And oh, you haven't done this in a while, so you better make it good. But this time, this time, the assigned reading contains one of my very favorite passages of all of scripture, and I know it really well. These verses were integral to my own transformation in Christ. These verses were integral to my call to ordain ministry, to meeting my now husband, becoming a mama, being appointed to serve Los Altos. And I thought, yeah, this sermon's gonna roll out easy peasy. Well, who knew the verses that we're the most familiar with can also be the ones that are hardest to relate to people? For some, these verses are probably as familiar as they are to me, and maybe you've heard them again and again. I actually heard, saw some heads nodding out there. Maybe you've heard them your whole life. And for others, it may be the first time hearing them. But for all of us, I'd venture to say there's holy stuff in there that we, together, you and I, are going to hear again and listen to and have inform our lives with Jesus this morning. And I hope that you will take with you into your days as you leave the sanctuary today. So let me give you a lay of the land about how we're going to do this this morning. I'm going to invite our acolytes to help me pass out a little paper which I've done before, so some of you may have received these. These are, um, call them GPS, Grow, Pray, Study. Make sure the choir gets them too. And they're just a little, a little sheet that um, you can take notes on. There are uh, pencils in the pew pockets. Um, there's some questions for you to think through, a place to write prayer concerns. Uh, maybe someone or something comes up to you during the message or later in the service that you'd like to remember in your heart this week. This is for you. This is for your, for your journey this morning and this week. And I invite you to, to use it as you wish. And then to take it with you, put it in your purse, tape it to your... I tape mine to my bathroom mirror so I see it every morning. Some folks I know lay them like in their car, in the passenger seat, somewhere where, you're, where you will see it, somewhere where you can use it to inform you this week. Or just put it aside of the pew and we'll collect it at the end. If it's not something that you're into, that's fine too. <laughs> so you have your, the GPS... And then I'll also share with you uh, some scholar thoughts on this passage, as well as things that have come to me as I've been studying this for you this week. And as always with my messages, take what helps. Take what informs your journey. And let go of the rest. There's more that I'm going to share this morning than anyone could possibly take in. And God's going to make sure that what you need to hear is what you hear. And let go of the rest. So first, a few things about the gospel reading. Just some information for you to 
to think through and maybe stuff you already know. But I find it helpful to remind myself of the Gospel of Mark in that the Gospel of Mark is definitively the oldest gospel we have. And as the oldest, we know it as the gospel that was written closest to when Jesus lived, closest to when those who knew or knew of Jesus lived and could recount tales, could recount impressions, words perhaps, life events. Mark is also the shortest. The author of Mark doesn't mince words, does not beat around the bush. He gets right to the point pretty quickly, doesn't elaborate. I like Mark. (laughs) Mark's a direct communicator, kind of like me. Second, the particular passage we're looking at this morning comes from what chapter in Mark? Don't look. Don't look at your guides. Anybody remember? What did we read? First chapter. That's right. We're reading from the very first chapter of Mark. And if you notice, there's no birth narrative. We're in chapter one, and there's no story of the angels or Mary or Joseph, right? We rarely hear during Christmas from Mark because Mark starts right with the baptism of Jesus and then goes right into, in this first chapter, the calling of the disciples. Mark prioritizes this calling, the very, very beginning. And third, I want to draw to our attention, and I've, I've done this before, but I think it really is important for us as Methodists that we recognize that many people, places, events, history, her story, doctrine, Christian tradition have influenced us, have influenced how we connect to Scripture. One of the parts that I love about Methodism is that we acknowledge all of those influences and we allow for the Holy Spirit to continually work through us, to allow new people, new events, new understandings to come into how we understand and take in this scripture. That is important for us as we mature as Christians. And without a doubt, John Calvin, founder of the Christian branch of the church called, anybody know? Yeah, Presbyterian. All right, well, well done. So John Calvin, 700 years ago, founded what we now know as Presbyterianism, he called this particular passage we're reading the calling of all Christians. And that has stayed with us for several hundred years. This passage we understand as the calling of all Christians. And that's not just for Presbyterians. It's not just for Methodists or Catholics or any other sect, denomination. It's for all of us. We are all called. And like those fishermen of ancient Galilee, like Simon and his brother Andrew, and James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, all named, we are all called to follow Jesus. We are all called to both an internal transformation and a public vocation. Here's how one scholar describes it. Like the called fishermen of the Gospels and like Abraham, we are summoned by God to leave our parents' house 
abandoning self-interest, security, and social approbation. Like them, we can find our inadequate attempts at ministry transformed by grace into extensions of Jesus' proclaimed activity. From early in the Gospel of Mark, this passage is all about the call of the way of the Christian life, about discipleship, about following Jesus. I invite you to listen to another scholar who writes about this passage and informs how we understand it today. (coughs) Jesus and the four disciples are active agents in leading people to experience the presence of the kingdom of God. The disciples in particular are not passive recipients of God's favor. Jesus called them in order that they might join him in proclaiming the coming of God's reign on earth. All right, so this is a lot, I know, for anyone. It's a lot to read and hear that God calls us at all let alone that the Son of God, Jesus, personally invites us. And then in that invitation, we are often called to let go of the very things that we depend on for security, acceptance, success. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. That in following Jesus, following God's call upon our lives, we may experience hardship, rejection, loneliness, a lot of change, unknown, maybe some fear. Because in this passage, the author of Mark writes both of Jesus' call and of the disciples' response here. And that's important. The disciples respond in verse 18. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then in verse 20. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Church, that seems pretty drastic to me. And I know it's just what you came to hear today. You came to church this morning wanting to hear a message of discipleship about how hard it is, right? That's exactly why you came, I know. This passage, sorry, this passage spells for us, a, spells out a fairly immediate, fairly drastic way of living as a disciple that involves leaving your livelihood Maybe leaving your family to follow God and Jesus? So allow me to add some real-life nuance to this passage. God doesn't desire to ruin our lives. God doesn't want to remove from us that which brings us joy or fulfillment or stability just for the fun of it. God is not capricious. Our God does desire for us to live lives in ways that will lead to deep joy and fulfillment. Our God longs for us to know a holy purpose and deep meaning in our lives. God desires for us, all of us, to know and live out our call to this life and to a life that is a bigger picture of deep joy 
and fulfillment for all of God's people. And that takes all of us. We are all called. And it may, in fact, it should look differently for each of us, our calls, our internal transformation, our public vocation. Those together will look different for each disciple. But for all of us, it will result in a joy-filled life of fulfillment. Now, I don't think I've ever said this before, but I'm going to go a little math nerd on you and give you an equation for this. Math is not my thing. But this kind of made sense to me. So, and it's all letters. IT plus PV equals JWJ. I know, that just rolled off the tongue too, huh? Internal transformation plus public vocation equals joy with Jesus. Discipleship, when we live out our call, we will have deep joy. We will have deep fulfillment. And we will contribute to the healing of the nations Discipleship, IT plus PV equaling JWJ, might mean a life that involves personal healing. You might have some soul searching to do, some changes that will contribute to a love of self, a love from within that will contribute to a love you can offer other people. This might look also like a life that contributes to the healing of nations. Maybe you're studying to be a judge. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you want to be a social worker or a nurse. Or maybe you are steadfastly raising a child or a grandchild to know a deep sense of self-worth and how they might be called to contribute to God's world in a meaningful Makes this Mike Frost makes a a good case. He says specifically that it's important that we see and know how our daily lives, how our public vocation mirrors the work of God, how what we do after you leave this space, Monday through Saturday and Sunday afternoons, how what you do mirrors the work of God. That is important for the church. It's deeply important for our world to know that, to see that, to see you at work mirroring the work of God, and to be about that with our whole selves. And sometimes it's tough to see that about ourselves. I see it in so many of you, those of you who've opened up about what, who you are and what, you've, what you do over the years with me. So many of you about the work of discipleship in the world. And as one of your pastors this morning, I simply want you to know that you are called to ministry and that your work in discipleship is contributing to the healing of God's world. Keep it up, church. Keep it up. You are contributing to the healing of the world. And may you each know, as you do this, as you open your hearts continually to internal transformation— as you're about the work of public vocation, that you deep in your soul know joy with Jesus. Amen.